Welcome back to season three of the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and root cause protocol consultant. I'm here to share my human experience as well as have powerful conversations with the leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The Human Experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, and normal human responses, and connecting emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. The Human Experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The Human Experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Well, thanks for joining me on the Human Experience Podcast, Noel. I have been a fan of yours for a while now, and I love everything that you put out there on um, social media and um, you being an own, the owner of Forever Healthy Hair. I love your products, um, <laughs> and I tell everyone about them. You got to try them. So thank you so much for um, your presence. I'm excited to get into all the goods on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited and honored to be on your podcast and and talking to your audience too. Um, I'm doing really well. I just uh, fed Olex, so I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) Awesome. You're such such a um, cute baby from what we can see. I know. Uh, I wish I could like share more of him on Instagram, but I just, you know, it's just no. such a, a public space. I do have like my private one where I, sh- I share with like family and friends and stuff and, and they're always oogling over him, but um, he is so cute. <laughs> no, I don't doubt it. <laughs> well, I wanted to um, kind of touch on, well, actually the, the, the whole point of this podcast is to talk about pregnancy and your yeah. experience with pregnancy. And I know that is a big focus of yours, especially mm-hmm. as you're going through postpartum and breastfeeding Olic. Um, so can we talk about pregnancy and what that looked like at first for you? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, Nick and I, ha- we really worked hard to create a lifestyle and um, a plan for our future in which we were going to be extremely present parents. Like we weren't going to leave Olek. Um, we had a lot of things uh, set up and talked about for um, many years that we wanted to work from home. You know, we didn't want to send him to school. We wanted to co-sleep. Uh, we just had a pretty solid plan of parenthood and that has so far worked out great. And, you know, it's really led us through like the whole process of becoming parents um, really well. And then just like our knowledge of physiology and the human body. And, you know, we're both health practitioners going into pregnancy. We both really prepared our bodies for, I mean, the majority of our lives. <laughs> so we, we spent like, you know, I've been, I've been personally healing since I was 14. Nick has wow. done the same thing. Um, so we, I mean, that whole like three-year plan to prepare your body. We've been doing it for like 10 years. So I was like extremely prepared and in an amazing place to get pregnant. 
Um, but I did have a history of polycystic ovarian syndrome. I had a cyst removed from my left ovary that was the size of a grapefruit. Um, yeah, and so part of my left ovary removed and then my ovaries drilled into and drained and stuff. And so there was a little bit of this seed of doubt in me that was like, is it going to take us a little bit of time to get pregnant? Um, not because like I doubted my uh, health or the place that I was in, but just because I was missing part of my ovary, <laughs> you know, I was like, that could be a factor, you know, that's an actual physical uh, factor that I can't change. So um, but luckily, as soon as we decided to try, I got pregnant on the first try. <laughs> no <Yeah>. way. That's <laughs> yeah. so cool. Yeah, so that was really exciting. I remember, you know, I it was funny because I took like a pregnancy test and I knew that I took it way too soon. And Nick was like, you're just taking it like way too soon. It's going to come back negative. And it did. And then I was devastated. And then I, you know, I waited a week and I, and I took it again. And I was like, okay, I'm ridiculous. I should just wait <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was really exciting. And so as soon as I got pregnant, um, I mean, pretty much everything stayed the same. I just increased my calories. Um, I was extremely mindful about my external stresses more than anything, because uh, I mean, my diet was already intact and everything was great. My hormones were great. My thyroid was working well. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't stressed from other relationships, whether it be between Nick and I or between like my family or my friends. And so I kind of, I guess, like retreated into like my nesting mode. And I guess it was sort of a blessing that the, you know, I was pregnant during this like whole pandemic because yeah. I was removed from everyone anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a huge help in my overall pregnancy, just you know, deciding that I need to say no to things and I need to just focus on my family and my growth and how I'm feeling because every single, every single action that we take, every single thought that we have really affects our children in the womb and then throughout their entire lives. And so I was extremely mindful of that. And so every single day I just worked on being calm and being at peace and not engaging in conversations that would upset me, not engaging with people that would upset me and, and really just focusing on, um, yeah, creating the environment for Oleg that we wanted him to be in prior to being in the world, I guess. Yeah, that's so awesome. I really love that you did that. And I do want to dive into um, what led to that uh, that interest in health at such a young age, like 14. Wow, I, didn't, I don't even know what I was doing. I was in the middle school <laughs> dance or something like this. <laughs> not caring about what food I was putting into my body. But um, what you just said really um, says a lot, because I think as women in general, we we have a hard time setting these boundaries um, with uh, our family and friends, because then we're looked at as, as mean or cruel and selfish. And I love that you just, you just did it anyways. And it's not, and it's not from that place, right? It's actually, yeah from a place of love for, for them, for you, for your baby. And then you created that safety for you guys. So yeah, I love that. Mm. Um, but going back to what I said, so getting into health at age 14, cause you also have like an Ayurveda uh, background as well, right? I do. Yeah. Um, so I've studied a lot of different modalities of healing and basically my 
own journey my own issues with health have like led me to discovering more and more different things and then kind of refining it all and then turning it into the practice that I have now and also when I was pregnant I decided that I wasn't going to see clients anymore and that I really just wanted to be like a full-time mom and so starting forever healthy hair was a huge um it was a, a, a huge turning point for both Nick and I because we moved away from sort of counseling people and to, it, it just enables us to give more time mm -hmm. to Olek and uh, and then, you know, have these amazing products, which I really wanted anyways. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so my, my interest in health started because I had, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney disorder called Gittleman syndrome when I was 16, but I started showing symptoms of the illness when I was 14. And I basically went from this extremely strong and athletic woman who was, I was a competitive rower. And I went from being super strong and healthy to just crippled and underweight and losing my hair and just not being able to digest food overnight. Wow. And uh, that was super traumatic. That was a turning point in my entire life. I mean, it, it changed the course of my life. I'm sure I wouldn't have necessarily had an interest in health as extreme to what I do <laughs> if uh, that didn't happen to me. But really, I went through the whole medical system, the westernized medical system, and I realized that it was definitely not for me because it was sick medicine. It wasn't, you know, for health. It wasn't for healing. And it was just masking my problems and no one was trying to get to the root. No one actually cared. And I got to a point where when I was 16, um, that I was just hospitalized. And, and that just, I mean, that shook me like to my core. And, and I knew that, okay, so I need to do everything I can to figure out one, what's wrong with me and two, like how I could never get into this state again. And then I want to help other people to never go down this path. And that was really the catalyst for me deciding to study uh, nutrition and biology and physiology and uh, herbalism and Ayurveda too, because Ayurveda, uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful system because it really does create like such harmony with you and nature and peace in your life. And it makes every single act that you do kind of sacred. And so I love that about Ayurveda. I was really drawn to that aspect of uh, what it presents is like this, you know, slow living, mindful livingness. Um, but there are aspects to it where I was like, okay, well, this isn't exactly in line with physiology and how the human body is designed. So I need to like incorporate other things to actually, you know, get to the root of the problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what was the driving force behind my interest in health and wellness and nutrition. And uh, I healed myself. I was on massive amounts of medication. I was diagnosed with PCOS, hypothyroidism, uh, the Gittleman syndrome, and among so many other things. I had, like, I was harmed by the HPV vaccine. I had like teeth extracted after that. I had uh, skin cancer. I had all these crazy things oh before gosh. I was like 20. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was pretty intense. And then, but I, I healed from all of it. And so I truly know that the body is resilient uh, as long as your mind is too, and that you can pretty much reverse anything. 
Oh yeah. I love that. I, I just see it now as like a, a metabolic dysfunction that can be corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I've seen your work and the work of Dr. Ray Pete, um, yeah. I think we kind of fell into it the same way, just like any practitioner, I guess, yeah. really fell into this world. Um, not like this field of medicine is because they were dealing with their own chronic health issues and um, westernized medicine couldn't help them. And I think that westernized medicine may have a time and a place for some people, but for these chronic issues that we're not getting answered for, answers for, and we're just getting medication after medication that's not solving the problem, then we have to look for alternatives, right? Which is, which should be the the main form of medicine, right? Um, I was into Ayurveda at one point in my life too. I love what you just said because it is very uh, connected to nature and um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and then, like you said, tying like body's physiology into it as well mm-hmm. uh, makes it make even more sense. Um, yeah. I remember making Kitri. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> it is so good and so mm-hmm. nourishing. Um, I love that. So when it came to, you've already had like that holistic path paved for mm-hmm. you. Um, and then it came time to decide if you wanted to have a baby and yeah. I'm assuming like you already had a birth plan in place. And what did that look like? Because yeah. I aspire to have this one day when my, when it's my time to be a mom. Um, yeah. So I'd love if you broke that down for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to do a home birth. I mean, I remember mentioning it to like a family member when she was pregnant and she was like, oh my God, that's so dangerous and people can die. And she told me this ridiculous story, which was clearly a lie that like this woman died that she knew. And I was like, I don't think that's true. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) um, I felt like I was crazy for even wanting to do a home birth. I mean, I was like 16 at the time. So, you know, I just always had this idea that like, you know, birth needs to be sacred. This is like your entry into the world. This really sets you up for the rest of your life. And, you know, Nick practices cognitive therapy and uh, he's done a lot of work on me too. And it's like, if you go back in time and and kind of recollect uh, the moment that you were born, I mean, it can change your entire life. And so I'm very, I was very passionate about like wanting to have the best sort of like entry for Olek. Um, and so we actually did meet with a midwife, uh, one, (laughs) mainly because I was like trying to placate like people in my life. Like my family was really concerned that I was going to do a home birth. They, you know, they'd wanted to meet meet with a midwife, but ultimately I, we just wanted a free birth. And we met with this midwife and she knew nothing of physiology. She told me she ate like Skittles her whole first pregnancy. She, she had like preeclampsia. And I was like, I'm sorry, we're going to trust you to deliver our baby. <laughs> like, you know, oh my gosh. Like nurse yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like, it was clear as day, like, okay, well, we weren't going to do this anyways. And it's also really expensive. I mean, a lot of people put off having kids because hospital births are extremely expensive, um, especially if you don't have health insurance. And the midwives, um, a lot of them don't take health insurance or you have to like get reimbursed and stuff if you do have it. And it's just so expensive. I mean, especially if you want to have a lot of kids and we want a lot of kids. <laughs> and free birthing just seemed the most natural and uh just most in alignment with us and the way that we are anyways we're very 
I mean, we're very keep to ourselves. We love being with each other. Like Nick and I are an interesting couple in the sense that we spend every single day together like 24 seven, like we're rarely ever apart unless like he, and now with Olek, maybe a little bit more, but like, it's more like 20 minutes we're apart. <laughs> I mean, we even go to like the grocery store, like all together. <laughs> yeah, That's so much. And you guys like, don't get sick of each other ever. No. <laughs> how long, so when did you guys meet? This is total tangent, but like, I feel like this yeah. is important. When did you guys meet? Like how old were you guys? So we actually, so we have a very interesting start to our relationship because I we, know. Were, we were we met over Instagram okay. and um we both were in a relationship when we met and we just connected and at the time like I had lost uh, my best friend and he just kind of stepped in as this person where I could just like, talk to him and we were just friends like it was purely platonic and it always was actually until we became like romantic with each other when we were both like out of relationships and it was kind of like time to get together because I always knew that like he was going to be my husband and he always says like the first moment he like saw my picture like he knew he was going to marry me but the timing was just off because I lived in New York he lived in Michigan um and we both were kind of like you know not true so honest about like oh I'm kind of in love with you <laughs> you know so uh that was that was hard but then as soon as we we got together um it was just we you know it just kind of worked out and we decided that we wanted to have a baby right away and I got pregnant the right away and, yeah right away <laughs> yeah um wow. I mean we, yeah, we were engaged before I got pregnant and we got married. I mean, I wanted to have like this really nice backyard wedding. We ended up eloping anyways. But, um, you know, I was like, I don't want to I don't want to get I don't want to be married and have like a huge belly. And I'm so glad that I didn't because I was really uncomfortable at the end of my pregnancy. <laughs> Oh I was like God. so big. Like, I'm five two, and I'm like tiny framed, and my belly was so large. I was like, I can't breathe anymore. Like, I truly can't. <laughs> so oh yeah, God. I was really happy that um that we got married prior to me having a gigantic belly. Um, but yeah, I mean that was basically it. As soon as we always kind of knew that we were going to be together, and then as soon as we decided to actually like make it work that we just combined our lifestyles. I mean, we had been talking for years about like what we wanted, our goals. I mean, Nick asked me like every single day, like, okay, what is the best thing that a man can give to a woman? What is the best thing a woman can give to a man? Like we went through these questions that like, I, I've never even approached in relationships before, you know, like I've never even been asked, like, what do you even care about? Like, <laughs> what are your life goals? Like, how do you want to parent? How do you want to raise your kids? Like, how are we going to deal with this issue? Like if this comes up, like, if we are farmers and and our child like wants to go visit the city and live that kind of like artist lifestyle, how are we going to handle this? So we've pretty much covered all of the bases in terms of any issue that could ever come up. So I think that also makes it really easy for us to communicate and kind of have a symbiotic relationship in marriage. Yeah. All of the important questions, not like, what's your favorite color? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what are we going to paint our house yellow or something? 
That's so, that's such a beautiful story. Seriously. I mean, talk about like meant to be Yeah, everything just seemed like it was in total alignment. Yeah, And I think that's really important too. Like when it comes to making a baby. Um, Yeah, for sure. That was a a huge thing too, is like, you know, a lot of people thought like, well, you got pregnant so soon. You're getting married so soon. And I was like, (laughs) well, the thing is, is that we've been talking about this stuff for years you know we have been this has been in the works for a very long time and it's just like now we're together and we just want to make it happen you know and and the reason why I think I got pregnant right away is because it was supposed to happen that way you know um and for both of us it's like we wanted to have kids like we're the type people that like wanted to be parents when we were like 20 you know so the fact that like you know I'm now 29 and and we just we wish we had kids sooner. So we wanted to do everything as soon as possible, pretty much. How many more kids do you guys want? We, I mean, total ideal world would be, we want six. Oh my um, God. Yeah. We, we want a really big family. Uh, and it would be, it would be so awesome if we had six, but um, you know, I, I am about like about my health and spacing properly. Um, I think that the spacing of uh, what you choose to do in terms of spacing between your kids should be based on your your health. And I know there's not like a specific rule, like some people are like two to three years minimum, but I mean, I'm in really good health. So I also would say like maybe a year and a half in between from, from this, like from OLEC to the next pregnancy. But I don't know. I mean, I could, we could wait two years too. It's like, so when I think about it, it's like, how, how old am I going to be when I have my last kid? I don't know. <laughs> I'll think about that too. I, I love that because big families are just so much fun. And I think yeah. you guys are like out in the middle of nowhere. Is that right? Yes, like just like- <laughs> we are. We have um, 15 acres, so we've got a lot of room to run. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. That's like perfect. That's ideal. That's a dream. Um, I want four kids and I think yeah. about it and I'm like, Oh my God, that is a lot of kids, but I get that too. Like what, wh- whether it's, um, me talking about my home birth or discussing how many kids I want, everyone's like, Oh my God, you're crazy. And yeah. I'm like, no, why, why does this have to be crazy? This is yeah. just, I think it's just like against the norm, you know? And, um, you know, I, it's hard when you're going against the grain. I mean, as you know, like consuming sugar and dairy is like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's like, then you say like you're free birthing. People are like, Oh my God, you're going to die. And I'm just yeah. like, well, I'm going to keep all of these things to myself until it's done. And then you can guys can just reflect on it and be like, wow, I can't believe you did that. That's so cool. You know? Um, and that's kind of the approach that I took. It was really hard for me because I did keep our free birth to ourselves. I didn't tell anyone. I mean, everyone says that they had like an idea that we were going to do that because my mom asked me like, what's the name of your midwife? And I was like, Heather. And like, <laughs> she's like, what's the last name? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> she oh my knows God. That, like, I'm like super thorough about stuff like that. So she said she had an idea, but you know, she didn't. And even when I went into labor, like when I was like, when I knew that he was going to arrive, I texted her and I was just like, yeah, I think that he's, I, you know, he's going to come today or we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. I was like, yeah, I think that I'm going to labor. And I was like, so just like, don't text me or call me or bother me because I really need to be in my zone. And she said it was like the hardest thing that she's ever done is to like not call me, but I really just needed to, like yeah. I said, be in my zone. I mean, even when I was in active labor nick and i didn't even talk (laughs) 
Oh my God. Okay. Wait, so I need to hear more about this process. So you went into labor and were you on time? Like what, what week were you in? So I was 38 weeks and six days. So I was a little bit early and although you know, sometimes that can be off, especially because we didn't like have like a gyno or a midwife or anything. So my dates could be off. He could have, I mean, and and based on his weight and size, he could have been like 39 weeks, 39 and a half weeks or something. Mm -hmm. Um, because he was seven and a half pounds and almost 20 inches. So he was like a decent, like an average, I would say that's like an average size. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started to feel contractions, like more than Braxton Hicks contractions at like 11 Mm a.m. And like, they were just really erratic and they were just kind of like period cramps. Like just kind of, you know, I was just like puttering around the house. Yeah, I was actually posting on Instagram and like (laughs) no one knew. (laughs) I was like sharing to my stories. (laughs) Like no one had any idea of like having contractions, which is kind of funny. but yeah, I, I was just puttering around the house, like I vacuumed and like cleaned the bathroom oh and just <laughs> got like my postpartum kit ready and I got the bedroom ready. We did, we chose to do like a, a, a lotus birth, which is when you keep the placenta on, like attached and you preserve it with like salt and herbs and things like that. Uh, and then you burn the cord off or you can burn the cord off or you can let it fall off. We burned it off eventually because it was like cold and dead and kind of weird. Yeah. And I was like, all right, he needs this <laughs> off. Like, this, is, this looks uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So I prepared all of that. I mean, even like Nick, like left, we, at the time we were in a rental and uh, he like went to go work out in the park nearby, like with his friend. <laughs> and, like he's like, it's okay if I leave. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I like took a nap, like ate some ice cream. I have like a, a photo saved of like the last, like, you know, above belly shot of me. And it was like 7 PM. I have like a huge bowl of like strawberry ice cream. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, at like 12 o'clock or 1230-ish, um, I had a really strong contraction that like brought me to like my knees. Like I was like, all right, that one was strong. L- like, let's get the bathtub ready. So Nick like filled up the tub and um, I got in it and he held like a bergamot essential oil to my nose because my favorite. <laughs> and he, we had like um, Native American flute music playing <laughs> and like a candle. We had a candle and like the lights off and it was just super soothing and we weren't really talking at all. And then I had like five really strong contractions and I birthed him like in the squatting position, like in the tub. And uh, I, I didn't push or anything. So I, I experienced the fetal reflux which is like your body pushing the baby out. And before he came out, like he was crowning and I, I cause I had a re- like a really intense contraction. I was breathing through it. I like felt down and I could feel that he was in the amniotic sac because my water never broke. And my mm-hmm. contractions were like one minute, 10 minutes, one minute, 10 minutes. Like they were so erratic. So like mm-hmm. we really didn't know when he was coming. And like, I was just super relaxed during the whole time. So it was hard to kind of tell <laughs> what was going on. And yeah, and then I felt him and I just like told Nick, I was like, he's coming, you need to catch him. And so I just like relaxed my whole body and like was breathing normal. And the contraction like came on kind of like a wave and he just came right out and floated through the water, floated out of his amniotic sac. And then Nick like picked him up. 
Oh my God. Yeah. How beautiful. So yeah. did, did you have to pop the amniotic sac? Like, how does that work? Um, normally you do, I guess it, it, if you, if it, the baby comes out, you know, not in the water, but he floated out of it. Oh, because okay. Yeah. Like in the water. Um, and then, the, then it was kind of floating in the water. <laughs> okay. And then, um, yeah. And then I sat down and Nick like handed me to him and I like, I had him latch right away. And then five minutes later, I like birthed the placenta, which was super easy, but I just wanted to get it out to make sure that like, no, I didn't have any excess bleeding and that it was yeah. all intact. And then basically Nick took it out of the tub into like a strainer bowl situation and then just made like examined it to make sure it was all together. And then that was it. It was a crazy oh quick. <laughs> yeah. Everything like just about yeah. your, your relationship, your marriage. And, <laughs> and that is yeah. so beautiful. So you didn't push like once. Is what no. It like. Yeah. yeah I didn't push at all. I want to talk about that because that's one of the main reasons that I, I don't want to birth in a hospital is because mm -hmm. of all the, the pushing that kind of goes against our natural rhythm. Yeah. Um, what do you have to say about pushing? <laughs> well, I mean, that goes against every single thing that your body wants you to do, which is just relax. You know, um, the reason why women will tear and have really stalled birth is because you're interrupting the natural rise in your hormones. Um, the same thing with traveling to a hospital, traveling to a birthing center. It's it, literally like if you had explosive diarrhea and I was like, okay, hold it for like 30 minutes and like, let's go to the hospital. You'd be like, yeah. what? Like that's, yeah, like that, like that's not, that's not good. <laughs> and I always relate like birthing to pooping and I know people don't like that, but it's really that natural. So, I mean, if you think about it, birth is the only experience that we go through where you're completely healthy and you go to a hospital. It's so strange. It's really like, totally bizarre to me. Um, so that's like counterintuitive to me. Uh, but I do understand why women go to the hospital and why they choose to do those things, because we are pretty much raised to fear our bodies, to fear birth. Um, birth is dangerous, but people don't understand like what actually caused it, like what, what takes you from a risk to an emergency. Um, and that could be, that could be an argument with your husband. Like Nick and I, that was one of the things that we did before I went into labor was we got off all of our withholds with each other. Like anything that was upsetting me about him, like we just confronted it all because then when I was in labor, I wasn't angry at his presence because that type of like thought and emotional, um, imbalance in your body could change the way that your birth, like the outcome of your birth. And mm -hmm. so something as minuscule as that can change your birth. Imagine uh, being coached to push. <laughs> Imagine being told to push when like you physically don't feel like you should push. I mean, yeah. the, the baby is what initiates birth, right? Labor. Uh, so that's who should be really taking the lead on things is your baby will do exactly what he or she is supposed to do mm -hmm. as long as you honor that process. Um, a lot of people tear because they push. Uh, a lot of people stall their birth because they push because it's super stressful. If your yeah. stress hormones like go out of whack and you interrupt the natural rise in your hormones and stuff, I mean, it's just it just screws your birth. So a lot of the trauma in birth can be avoided uh, with that kind of knowledge and understanding of how birth is initiated, um, how undisturbed birth goes like how it's supposed to go 
the rise in the hormones. And then, um, yeah, I mean, just feeling safe, a feeling of safety is super important. And I think that the safety comes with just your knowledge. So if you are unaware of what, uh, what physiological process your body is going through, then you likely would be afraid. You know, it's like, if you cut your hand open, you don't know what to do, then it's going to scare you, mm-hmm. you know, so then your pain is going to be worse. But like, imagine you cut your hand open, you're like, oh, that's a cut. Like, I know I have to just like cover, you know, clean it and then cover it and hold pressure on it to make the blood stop. And then it's fine. So, you know, it's like the knowledge is power in that situation. And so my purpose on my platform is really to educate women on um, how their bodies work so they feel more confident doing things that are completely natural, like eating food, <laughs> living life, and birthing babies. I love it so much. And one thing that I learned over the past year or two was um, the, I mean, like you we were doing, you were creating safety for yourself when uh, Oleg was in the womb, but the, the trauma that can ex- be experienced in the womb and how that leads to, I don't know, I feel like it has an impact on either behavior or personality once out of the mm-hmm. womb. And um, same thing goes for birth, right? Like if we're yeah. born in a stressful environment, then maybe baby will carry more of that stress. How does that, yeah. like, does that make Absolutely. sense? Yeah. I mean, all of that is important posed on the child and, and changes their development. You know, that's why I am, uh, I, I, I don't judge anyone for their choices that they make. Um, and it's not like, I don't believe that information is shaming people. I think information is helpful. So you can, you know, choose to take the right path for yourself. Uh, I think only we're capable of shaming ourselves. And I think when shame kind of comes up, as like a a feeling it's because we intuitively know that whatever we did or whatever we chose was actually not true to us um and instead of like reflecting on ourselves and like owning that choice we project it out and then we're like you you're making me feel this way it's like no actually only you can make you feel a way (laughs) that's so Um, true so I do speak out a lot about um the use of pitocin and epidurals and you know, the (laughs) rampant forcing of C-sections because all these things really impact our children's lives. And, you know, when I think about Olek and I think about his future, I really want the world to be safe for him. I want there to be more children like him. I don't want him to feel like he is an alien because I think, especially for Nick and I, we've always kind of felt like the black sheep in our communities and like in our families because we've known a lot or we've taken a different path and that's challenging. And I know I can't protect Olek from that completely, but as long as I have like a role um, to play in, you know, online basically and have that kind of influence, then I definitely want to take advantage of that. So he has uh, an easier time as an adult and as a child because, you know, it's like if a child is, um, if you're coming, if the child's coming out of the wound and, and basically the doctor's like, okay, well, no, he, he or she is not. So we're going to do a C-section. Could you just imagine being in this warm, quiet, beautiful place and then being ripped out of, <laughs> you know, yeah. the womb through means of not <laughs> your choice. It's like, that's what a C-section is. It's like being ripped out of, out of your safety. And I do think that that causes a lot of trauma for um, 
children. And it's not to say that, uh, that that can't be mitigated and you can't like help your children and you can't, you know, there's, I don't ever want women to feel like they failed because it's really not that it's that the system is failing. The system is failing to educate. I mean, the fact that uh, OBs will recommend that women restrict salt during their pregnancy. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> they restrict salt, restrict sugar. And it's like sugar is what literally, you know, helps grow the baby in the first trimester. So if you don't have sugar in your diet, like that child's brain development, bone development, tissue development is going to be undernourished. Yeah. So I think all these things, uh, all these things are really traumatic to children. And so, I mean, you know, I definitely want people to not feel bad about what the choices that they've made, but just to learn from them. It's like for your next kid or, you know, even in your lifestyle now, like there's people who restrict sugar for their children because they think sugar is bad. It's like, well, your child is craving candy and junk food because He's being restricted. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you can't have this. Well, even if they didn't want it, now they want it. Now they want it more, you know? Yeah. It's like that, that psychology of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So is, is free birth or home birthing for, for everyone, like every woman? I mean, like if they were, if they were like, I want to do a home birth, I want to do a free birth. Let's say Mm -hmm. they want to do it. Um, Is this for every woman like what are your thoughts as far in regards to like health status and stuff um I do think it can be for every woman um but it does take a lot of responsibility to make it for you you know and if your health is not in a place like you neglect your health like you eat McDonald's you eat like crap and you you know you basically were like drinking alcohol smoking cigarettes and smoking weed up until the point you found out you were pregnant I don't know if that would maybe be for you (laughs) Um, because I think that that if you don't have responsibility towards your body, I don't know how much responsibility you would have towards another body, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that is a reason why a lot of people um, just choose to hospital birth and kind of like go through the motions of it all without actually um, assessing and thinking about, okay, what is this doing to me? What is this doing to my child? You know, all these different things because they haven't had that responsibility before towards themselves. So I think that as long as you want to be responsible and as long as you uh, have a desire to learn um, everything that you possibly can, you want to have a home birth and you're willing to take that on, that responsibility on, then it's for you. And I don't think that like, you know, being predisposed to like diabetes or, you know, if you go to an OB and she's like, well, you have preeclampsia that you can't have a home birth. I, I don't think that that's true. I think that that's just a way to keep you scared and keep you in the system, you know? So I think as long as it's a choice that you're, um, that you're making and you want to take that responsibility on, then it could definitely be for everyone. Awesome. Good to know. Um, yeah. so everything that you share on your platform, like we were talking about, I was against the grain, especially yeah. like all, all the, the sugar and the dairy. Um, I want to talk about this um, and like superfoods for pregnancy because so I actually got this question like last week. Um, uh-huh. So I want to talk about superfoods and you know, why you recommend them for pregnancy and preconception too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I think a lot of people have different 
definitions of superfoods like some people think like superfoods are like these powders that you get in the store yeah <laughs> but I think yeah. when we're talking about superfoods we're actually talking about foods that are super <laughs> you know like, like food <laughs> yeah like real food not like um pow- powdered acai or something like that <laughs> which is great too um but yeah I mean you can basically get all the nutrients that you need that like a, you know, an OB or a doctor would prescribe like in a prenatal um, or any sort of like multivitamin from natural foods like liver and bone broth and shellfish and orange juice actually and just fruit and carrots and bee pollen and honey. Like those are staple items in, um, in our house and like that were in my diet preconception and during pregnancy and basically just during pregnancy, you increase all of your nutrients because you're feeding yourself, you're feeding um, the baby too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can get all of your fat, sol- fat soluble vitamins um, from these foods, uh, all of your copper, your zinc, your potassium, your magnesium, all the things that are essential for a healthy, robust metabolism, thyroid, and just overall tissues. I mean, the more tissues you have, that's better. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people are um, also asking me about prenatals with fish oil or like a DHA. Um, What are your thoughts? (laughs) So there's a lot of studies done on DHA in terms of like brain development in children and like how it's like essential and stuff, but it's not. Um, We can get DHA in like trace amounts in all these uh, superfoods too, but you wouldn't want to consume fish oil because that's just a poofa. It's just straight up poofa. And yeah, the, the reward is not worth the risk because... I don't know. I haven't consumed a poofa and I don't even know how long. And like, I love that Oleg has none in him, <laughs> you know, like none, like straight up poofa. Obviously there's traces of poofas in like eggs and stuff like that. And then dairy. Um, but those trace amounts are there uh, for a reason. You know, we have them there because we do need a certain amount of it to stay, to stay balanced in our bodies, but we just don't want to consume straight up poofa. So I just, you know, advise against people using fish oil, um, because that's what it is. It's a polyunsaturated fat, and it's actually going to increase your estrogen. It's going to lower your thyroid function. It's going to create um, more metabolic imbalance for you. And most people, once they, you know, they, they take fish oil and they're like, oh, well, like my headaches went away. And like, I feel better. It's because, you know, it's a, it's an immunosuppressant. And so it's going to give you like that short term, term gain, but then that long term harm. So, there's just so many other things that you can do instead of taking fish oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing with prenatals. Like you said, just getting it from real whole food sources. Um, yeah. Liver is really not that bad. Um, yeah. And you can get it in like a freeze dried capsule. So it's like, yeah. I just feel like every person should be on liver. Like that's essential, especially if you want to conceive, especially, you know, post-pregnancy, everything. I mean, it's so great. Oh yeah. I, I've tried it cooked with some butter, onions, and, um, mm-hmm. some garam masala, cilantro over yeah. like some mashed potatoes cooked in bro broth. Mm. Like it's, it feels like a delicacy. Yeah. Um, and then the other way I've been trying it lately is just t- taking it back raw with a little bit of juice. Um, yeah. and that hasn't been bad either, but I also have the capsules too. I'm just mm-hmm. like, 
sometimes I just don't like taking capsules and I just want yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you for that. I don't really like taking capsules either. And I prefer the real food also because it's, you know, the calories are essential too. you know, it's essential to have like, you know, an abundance of calories. So your metabolism is robust and, and working well. I like, like during my pregnancy, I had raw beef liver in smoothies once a week. Mm. Depend. I had like a dark, you know, um, cherry smoothie with like cacao and honey and collagen. And then I threw a piece of um, liver in there and you could barely taste the liver, honestly, because of the, but it had to be cherry, the cherry and the cacao mask, the flavor. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Yeah. I'm going to try that soon. Um, speaking of calories, I mean, like as soon as some women hear that word, they're like, they mm -hmm. go into like fight or flight. Um, but this is something that you're really big about to, to fuel yeah. metabolic processes. So, and I think you're eating like what, four, a thousand calories yeah because right? you're breastfeeding yeah. yes yeah and so breastfeeding is an added stress on the body and you know any woman that's gone through pregnancy and given birth no matter how you've given birth um and has breastfed for a certain amount of time and just like being a mom in general you know like you're even if i guess you're bottle feeding because Oleg has never had a bottle but i mean he wakes up a couple times a night so i have to feed him so my sleep is really interrupted all that's a huge stress on the body. And even like I said, if you're choosing to use a bottle or even formula or whatever, you're still waking up, like your, your child still needs to feed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that is a huge uh, stress. So the way that we mitigate stress is to uh, consume more energy, you know, so you need more sugar, you need more calories uh, throughout the day. And this also, and it's funny, because people I recently shared like my six month postpartum picture of my belly, which I'm not like, super comfortable doing anyways, just because I don't want people to compare themselves to me. But I also wanted people to see that actually you can lose baby weight when you consume more food. You know, I, I just want to show people that you can do these things, you know, it is possible. So like, yes, maybe you will gain some protective weight when you ch change to like a pro metabolic eating. But when you're postpartum, it is absolutely essential that you replenish your nutrient stores. It's absolutely essential that you are consuming enough food so you can live, especially if you're breastfeeding, because that takes so much out of you. You know, it, it really, really does it. And if you don't have the nutrient stores, like this is why women will get like hair loss postpartum and yeah. they'll have teeth, teeth issues and um, they'll get fibroids again and they'll have like all sorts of metabolic issues because they aren't nourishing their bodies. So it's truly essential to uh, have those calories and, and make them mindful too. You know, it's not just like eating Doritos as calories. <laughs> it's like, you know, choosing whole nutrient dense, easy to digest foods. Um, yeah. That's why dairy and raw milk is such a huge part of my diet too, because it is super nutrient dense. It contains so many different, um, different vitamins and minerals that are essential for our thyroid health, for our hormonal health. Um, and milk also makes milk. So the more milk you drink, the more milk you'll likely have. Um, and it's a great way to get in an abundance of calories. So it, because, you know, it's, it's 
pretty calorie rich. <laughs> so if you have a couple of quarts of milk a day, like if you struggle with like getting meals in, which definitely was an issue for me my first couple of weeks postpartum, I just like drank milk with honey and collagen. And that, you know, gave me my protein, it gave me my my sugar, and it gave me my fats and a lot of calories in one drink. And you can do that, you can hold it while feeding your child, or you know, it's not uh, a huge meal you have to basically prepare. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So is that why some women um, may stop bre- breastfeeding because their their milk supply is just not mm-hmm. enough? Or um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then what about if baby is not latching? Like you had Oleg latch right away. I know some yeah. moms struggle with this when they get beginning. Yeah, so I think that also how you birth um, definitely affects the latching too. There are so many studies that show that C-sections, Pitocin, epidurals interrupt um, babies' neurological functions and ability to latch and your hormonal connection um, between mother and baby. And I know that if you just keep keep introducing, you know, your nipple to your baby, if you keep trying different um, techniques, you know, not every child's mouth is shaped the same, not every woman's nipple is shaped the same. So uh, you really need to just alter what you're doing. I mean, you can work with a lactation consultant to, um, to help with that. I would just encourage women to just keep trying because, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, Oleg latched right away, but if he hadn't had latched right away and I had struggled with that, I would definitely not have given up. Um, but the one technique that has worked really well for me in general, um, especially the first couple of days postpartum and when I was like introducing him to feeding was like pinching my nipple and bringing it to his mouth and making sure that like it was on a proper angle for him to to latch to it. Um, and yeah, I think that that really helps too, is, is, is manipulating what you're doing to help your child, you know? Yeah. Um, and so like changing your uh, angles that you might kind of like have the baby latch and changing the position of your nipple and even changing your position. Like, you know, we, I think it's pretty common that like women like hold their baby, like cradled in their arms and then they start to latch, but that might not be the best position for your child, you know, especially in the beginning. So um, trying like the laying, laying down and like dangling like your boob over um, your child's mouth could be helpful too. So just trying different things before giving up really. Um, and then milk supply usually is only low due to um, stress or lack mm. of nutrients in the body. So having an abundance of nutrients every single day is going to help with milk supply, but also making sure your stress is lower. And, you know, for me, I was, I guess, lucky in that sense, but I, I, I don't like to chalk like my situation up to luck because Nick and I like have planned everything out so, so well for what we truly want as like our vision in life. Um, but, you know, I had him as a support postpartum. I didn't worry about the food that I was eating. I didn't worry about the house being clean or doing anything like that, even during the night, unless, um, I would only wake up if Olek was hungry, like if it was to feed him, but if it was to change him, Nick got up and did it that way that I could stay asleep. And, and so he really picked up on those things and we didn't really have like a support system here in Michigan um, or like a lot of people around. So it really was just like the two of us, like my parents came to visit 
Um, but I mean, when they came to visit, it was like a couple of days. So it wasn't, you know, like months and months and months or anything. Uh, so having your partner really be on board with like your vision in terms of uh, what you want out of motherhood and in your life in general, like if I was having trouble breastfeeding or something and Nick was like, okay, well, let's just give him formula, you know, that would be super discouraging to me. So having those conversations prior to giving birth with your partner, like, Hey, so like, if this occurs, are you going to be on my team and are we going to figure this out together? Or are you going to completely abandon me and make me feel like I am incapable of doing something that is totally natural to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think those are really important things to discuss with your partner um, because it all leads to a happier and healthier postpartum for you and your baby and just like your family in general. That's so true. I mean, when you sit down and think about it, it just, it makes sense not having all of these stressors around leaving yeah. you, um, feeling even more stress and that has an impact on you and baby and yeah. now breast milk. So that's good to know. Um, yeah. You and I were chatting before this about aspirin, because this is something that you're currently taking right now. I know mm -hmm. when people that they're like what <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> i know people are well aspirins have been made out to be like the devil um and without going into like too much detail about like the history of all that um <laughs> aspirin <laughs> yeah because that's long but the the purpose of me taking aspirin is because it does help to re reduce uh stress-related, the increase of stress-related free fatty acids, and this helps to increase your metabolism. And it's also really similar to progesterone in, um, in a lot of ways because it helps to reduce inflammation, of course, and it helps to reduce estrogen. So basically anything that opposes PUFA and lowers lipolysis will uh, also help with inflammation and production of progesterone naturally too. So I take it for those reasons. And I do recommend it for women who are trying to conceive and like having some issues because of its effect on estrogen and because of its effect on your metabolism, because it will support your thyroid function, it will increase metabolism. And oftentimes, women have trouble conceiving because of estrogen overload, um, whether it be tissue bound or, you know, in their bodies. And so I, yeah, I mean, it's something that's like a little taboo. I think when I tell people that they're like, wait, well, I don't understand why. <laughs> um, but I no, also do. Awesome. Yeah. And I do recommend it for breastfeeding moms too, because it does help to reduce the prostaglandins in the milk. And that could be really uh, irritating to baby's gut and cause colic. So I, in my experience um, too with me, like on the days that like I haven't had aspirin um, and say I was like a little bit more stressed just cause like lack of sleep, um, maybe Olek was a little bit more fussy. And like now he's not at all, but in the beginning, like with his digestive system developing, uh, I noticed and I did experiment like, okay, I'm not gonna take it today. Let's see like how he is. And it clearly was helpful. Um, in reducing all of that for him and, and making it just like easier on his stomach. And so it's interesting how like women will, will be like, well, I think my baby's allergic to dairy. <laughs> and it's yes. so funny because like breast milk is the closest thing, like cow's milk is like the closest thing to breast milk. So like if your child was allergic to cow's milk, likely would be allergic to breast milk too. And like the 
that's just not going to happen really. I guess unless they were like vaccinated or on antibiotics and maybe, maybe like a very small chance that um, they'd have a sensitivity to the dairy in your breast milk, but still it's the perfect food for baby. It's biologically made for your child. The chance of your child being allergic to breast milk is just super slim. And yeah, the culprit's always like, dairy that's what doctors tell you to like cut out and it's just so funny because i'm like but dairy is the one thing that's like exactly like breast milk why would you tell them to cut that out you know and it's just funny because there's so much misinformation about like what affects your breast milk it's like okay onions and garlic do but nothing else does i'm like no all the food does like <laughs> like all the food does like everything you eat affects your, your breast milk you know and so whenever a mom messages me or like has a question about like their breast milk and their baby being fussy and just like having eczema or something, I'm like, firstly, get rid of the poofas in your diet. If there's literally any in your diet, it could completely be affecting your child's health and, um, and your milk and like just creating just so much in hormonal imbalance because there's hormones in your milk, of course. Um, and then I always recommend the aspirin in low doses. Um, like 60 to like 150 milligrams, like starting at a low dose and, you know, working your way up. It's really not going to be like detrimental to your health. So, you know, it's okay to like have it on a small dose daily. Okay. Is there like, um, I've heard about adding in like some K2 to, to mitigate like some of the side effects of aspirin. Mm -hmm. If there are yeah. any yeah, you can definitely do that. But also if like you're having raw dairy and liver and stuff like that, like yeah. it's not always like essential, but like if you feel that you, you know, you want it just to be safe, you can totally do that. Okay. Alrighty. Well, I want to answer some of the questions that we got in. Um, so we'll just run through those. Um, all right. Someone said, what causes early, but term births, um, early but term births, 36 to 38 weeks, is that normal for some women? I mean, it could be totally normal for some women, especially, it, I guess the, the question would be like, is the child undernourished? Is it like actually preterm, like when it comes out? Or, you know, are you just basing the preterm on the weeks that you are? Because there are plenty of women who have like babies at 36 weeks and their child, they're like six pounds or even five pounds, which is totally normal too at 40 weeks, you know? So as long as a child is healthy, then yeah, I mean, baby initiates birth. So if that's when they want to come into the world and that's when they're ready to come into the world, you know? Yeah. Um, thoughts on antibiotics and group B strep? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I don't think that it's totally necessary, but I guess if it's something that you're truly worried about, uh, you could take like amoxicillin or something like that. And that wouldn't have like detrimental effects on the baby. I, that would be the only antibiotic that I would say is like semi-safe, okay. you know? Um, and it's really just like a personal choice, mm -hmm. whether or not, uh, you know, you want to quote unquote, like risk it, like you just have to weigh the, like the risks and the rewards of everything. Cause there's a chance like nothing happens, <laughs> you know, okay. but there's, and there's a lot of, it, there's very, very small percent of chances of the baby, like contacting, contracting that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a personal thing. I personally wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't even take that. I didn't even take that test. So, oh <laughs> so I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, how to support milk supply while nursing a two and a half year old while pregnant with second baby. Okay. So nursing a two and a half year old 
and she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, really just, just an abundance of calories. I mean, she should be eating at least 4,000 calories every single day. Um, and making sure that she's having liver, she's having bone broth, she's eating adequate, um, shellfish, like, you know, shrimp and smoked oysters, especially for, uh, the copper and zinc, and she's getting enough magnesium in because that is going to be lost a lot through her milk. So she might want to supplement with magnesium Mm -hmm. if she, you know, that's something that I did supplement with throughout my pregnancy is like I had added magnesium, um, so I took magnesium bicarbonate and then magnesium okay. glycinate. Um, the two brands I used were the Pristine Hydro and then um, bulk supplements had the magnesium glycinate. So I used both of those. And then I also okay. got minerals through, I took baking uh, aluminum-free baking soda powder every single day and then obviously salted my food. But the baking soda really helped with acid reflux, which like came on for me like into my third trimester because I got like so big and <laughs> my stomach was being pushed. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so I would just say making sure that she is just loading up on the nutrients, raw milk, especially if she can tolerate it. Cause the, like I said before, milk makes milk, um, orange juice and, and yeah, being really particular about her diet, making sure that she truly is uh, not necessarily like tracking her food, but isn't like mindlessly going throughout the day. Like I haven't eaten in like four hours. Oh my God, what? You know, that's going to, <laughs> that's going to make sure that her, both her children are fully nourished. And so is, you know, her body. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question. What does Adderall actually do to your hormones and metabolism? Um, many people are misdiagnosed with ADHD and continue through uh, pregnancy while taking Adderall. So it's wow. a double parted question. I don't know if I know of anyone that has taken Adderall throughout their pregnancy. That's insane. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't imagine that does to your brain. That is just so not, yeah. I mean, I would just get off of that. I mean, anyone taking Adderall just like absolutely get off of that stuff for sure. Um, I'm not like too educated on what Adderall does to the hormones, honestly, Um, it's not like a drug that I've ever truly like looked into and I've never had a client who is taking it. Um, do you know much about it? No, I mean, I, all throughout college, I've had several friends who have taken Mm -hmm. it to, you know, push through. And I, I just imagine it just raises stress hormones and with any stress added onto your metabolism. I just, I think it's like a cascade effect from there. Um, yeah, I mean, through pregnancy, through pregnancy. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine why somebody would recommend you taking it through pregnancy. Also, as an adult, like, why are you taking it? That's, I don't, I mean, I would really be questioning it. Yeah, I'd be yeah. really questioning, like, you know, what is it that you are using the Adderall for? Like, I mean, I, I know that it obviously creates like an excitatory response in your body. And yeah, like you said, elevates stress hormones. Um, what it, I, it would be like any other, um, stimulant in terms of like a, like a drug, even like a birth control, like it just screws your metabolism. It changes your hormones. Like anything that's going to shift your hormones into like an unnatural state. And I mean, that just like a, a storm <laughs> yeah. happening within the body, especially during pregnancy. Yeah. I would, 
I mean, I'm definitely going to look into what um, other women have to say about taking it throughout pregnancy, because I've never heard of that. And um, I would just recommend to that person, don't take it ever. <laughs> and definitely don't take it during pregnancy. Um, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't take any medication during pregnancy. I would get yourself to a point before getting pregnant that you aren't on medication. Um, yeah. Especially if you're like, you know, the, I'm speaking to the people who are like, trying to have like the ultimate optimal health here obviously my information is not for everyone because not everyone wants to like go down that route and like take that much responsibility for their health and they're like no medication's fine um no it's not and Adderall also I mean that's gonna like mess with your ch child's development in the brain and their hormonal imprint because you your hormones imprint on your child so if, like you have hormonal imbalances that's going to imprint on your child and then you can take that that child's going to take it throughout their life and then to their children so yeah. um, it's really really important to get your hormones into a place where they're balanced your thyroid function is um really strong because your thyroid's compromised during pregnancy because baby doesn't have one so it's using you um for that and so if you really need to have like a, a supportive state for that child to thrive, not just survive, because like children survive in like the worst conditions, the body is miraculous. It obviously can go through many, many different stressors without dying, but that doesn't mean that like your child is healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so that's I don't good. know if that answers the question. <laughs> no, I think, I think it does for the, the woman who is asking. I think that the answer is, um, know and maybe get off of it and look yeah. to support your body and through food nutrition reducing stressors and kind of preparing your body before yeah. you get pregnant and like you said you're not speaking to everyone you're speaking to those who actually want to take that step yeah um okay next question what supplements if any did you take during pregnancy i think you kind of just answered that with yeah. magnesium supplements yeah, um, so I took um, Shilajit, I took magnesium, okay. the baking soda, aspirin, uh, topical progesterone. Mm -hmm. I take pearl powder. We sell that and I take it. That's part of the reason why we sell it is because I, <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> um, and then I took our Thyro Plus formula. Okay, yeah. Which, I have um, so many clients who I want to try. Like, yeah. Purpose, but it's out of stock. I know. So we're working on getting because we encapsulate everything ourselves. Everything's handmade. Okay. So we're actually working on um investing in an encapsulator machine. So Ooh. yeah, because it takes like hours upon hours to make like <laughs> you know, like one batch of thyro oh, yeah. plus bottles. Um, because you know, your hand doing it. Uh so this would allow us to basically have it in stock always. More but we will yeah. And so we will have it in stock, um, probably in the next week or so. And, oh. but it's going to be a limited supply. So yeah. <laughs> I, cause we had it like back in stock a week ago and someone was like, I was looking for it. I was like, yeah, we had it up for like two minutes and it sold out. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to tell my clients yeah. the next week. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, someone said the first 40 days post, is it, um, recommended to not move around much to heal and organs to go back into place so i i do think that you should limit movement but i actually walked after like the first week and a half maybe but not like 
like a serious walk, like like a stroll, like kind of around the block, um, which I thought was really helpful to kind of get movement into my body. Uh, I spent every single day like sitting outside in the sun. Alec was born in July, so I was lucky in that respect that oh. like I had that sun working for my my healing um, body. But if I didn't, I would definitely be sitting in front of like a red light therapy machine with him. Um, but yeah, I think you should probably limit most movement other than just light walking, not anything strenuous, just walking around, getting your body, um, getting the circulation up, but not stressing. Yeah. Um, what about herbs? Someone asked any herbs to avoid doing during pregnancy herbs to consume during um, yeah, I have a post on this, I think, or on my story, I saved something on this. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of herbs you should basically avoid. Um, there's only a handful that I would take. And those are the ones that I shared. I took Romania, um, astragalus, uh, basically adaptogens and mushrooms are pretty safe. So I did take Rishi and that's a cool herb because there's this, uh, ancient, Chinese folklore that says if you take reishi during your pregnancy then you, you will have like a reishi baby like a calm baby and Olek is like that so I don't know if that has anything to do with it but <laughs> I did take reishi every single night um, so cool. and I took uh, KSM 66 ashwagandha when you take certain herbs I always recommend taking the extract of the herb because the whole herb itself unless made into a tea is very difficult um, to digest and is really hard on the liver and so you wouldn't want to impair the liver so even in like my hormone uh, support detox tea that I have on Instagram it has nettle extract so unless you are making the tea out of the fresh leaves or say a ground powder and you're steeping it. Um, I would never like recommend that somebody take the ground powder and like consume that too. Cause that would be really um, hard on your liver. So those are fine. And then red raspberry leaf is obviously really wonderful during pregnancy. I drank it my first trimester, second and third, and then during, <laughs> then during labor too. And so I just basically slowly increased it over um, the nine months. So I started with like two cups of red raspberry leaf tea a week. And then when I was in my second trimester, I did like three. And then by third mm -hmm. trimester, I was having it every single day. And then during labor, I made a like a labor aid out of it using um, magnesium bicarbonate, uh, red raspberry leaf tea, honey, uh, salt, and was a lemon. Mm, that sounds so yeah. good. It was really good. <laughs> it's funny because after Oleg came out and like I was holding him, I like sat back and <laughs> I said to Nick, I was like, give me my lemonade. <laughs> like, I was, like, <laughs> princess, like... <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, someone asked, excuse me, I have a tickle in my throat. Um, how to prepare for free birth? Or best to ask questions to ask when interviewing a midwife. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, how to prepare for free birth. There's a couple of books that I recommend on my page. Um, I think they're both called free birthing. I'd have to look up uh, the authors of them, but I read both of those books. There's also different, um, uh, you know, people online that are, that are helpful. Uh, the indie birth, uh, group online is is great they have a course i uh, i think that that's a pretty good course for anyone who 
is looking to free birth. I think they go through all the things. Um, but I mean, really just confidence and understanding of what birth is, the risk that um, come with birth, regardless of where you are birthing is super important. And knowing that, uh, like having a plan, like somebody asked me if I had like a plan B and we really didn't like plan B was like, if in an emergency happens, like I go to the hospital. And the reason why having a midwife or having or free birthing didn't make a difference to me because I was like, okay, if an emergency happened, she'd take me to the hospital. So like, what's the difference? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I did confront like all the different things that could possibly go wrong. Um, you know, a big thing for women is like, well, what happens if you hemorrhage? Well, hemorrhaging usually occurs because of stress. So if you don't like your midwife, you're mad at your husband, um, or something is going wrong, uh, then you would likely hemorrhage because you are under a lot of stress. Or if you're scared. You know, if you're afraid, that that could be like a huge factor in it too. Um, and then the other thing is uh, placenta previa, and you would know that prior to giving birth if you had that or not. Um, and I mean, I still would push for a natural birth if you had that because I know a lot of women who have gone into labor and then the placenta has moved. So it's basically when the placenta is like under the baby. And, um, so it, usually it's the baby, then the placenta. <laughs> and so okay. if it's switched, um, and then you go into labor, if the placenta moves then that's great. But if you go, if you are planning a hospital birth and you have placenta previa, they're likely going to schedule you for a C-section regardless. And I don't know if they'd give you the option of, um, yeah. trying to have a natural birth. Um, yeah. So being aware of those things, having a, a plan of like, what would we do and making sure that you and your partner are like clear on that. Uh, those were the only two things that I needed to confront because I knew nothing else was going to go wrong. If the cords wrapped around the neck, you just unwrap it. If he was breech, I would have still birthed him totally, you know, <laughs> on yeah. our own. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, the thing is, is like a lot of people get afraid of like breech births because they're like no like that's dangerous it's only dangerous because doctors now aren't trained to handle free births like they were 35 years ago uh so that's why it's become like a taboo thing but they're totally normal Oleg was transverse which so he was sideways when I was in mm. my second trimester and Nick just flipped him he just basically like held two points on my belly and holding those two points just flipped him and then I did this like exercise where I basically like was like stretching upside down kind of like pushing him to be in the right position every single day henceforth wow that's amazing yeah. I've seen yeah. babies being flipped before and it's it's really fascinating but like you yeah. said um, I guess you just have to find someone who's trained or, or get your husband to, to do it. Yeah. I mean, you can go to a chiropractor. It was just during the pandemic. So oh, okay. everything was closed and you have to do it before 29 weeks. Otherwise oh. there might not be enough room. I mean, you can do it after that, but I think it's pretty painful. Um, but yeah, it was like, I was like, okay, I'm 28 weeks and there's nothing open. So <laughs> you're going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I mean, did I it hurt that, at all? No, not at all. I felt so no. good because like he was like kicking my like spleen. I was oh. like, oh my god, I'm in so much pain. Oh. Um, yeah. So I mean, just being aware of those things, it's really important um, to just confront all those risks and then, you know, weigh like, okay, how would I handle this? Because like how I personally would handle things is very different. Like if I was like bleeding out, like or if I like 
you know, I don't know. We've, we discussed like if I tore, like how would we handle that? And like normally people would get stitched up, but I think that you just let your body heal itself. And, you know, your vagina is only going to stretch as much as it, you know, as it can. And if it, it tears a little bit, that's fine. Um, it'll heal back to normal. But I joked with Nick, I was just like, I'm just gonna sew myself up. <laughs> because like, he doesn't love blood. So I was just like, I'm gonna stitch myself up. I was a lifeguard back in the day I could do it. <laughs> oh my god. that's funny. Like, I'm the type of person that would like, I would rather like kill myself rather than go to the hospital. Like, that's just me. Like I, you know, my experience in the hospital is just so traumatic when I was younger that I would never allow myself to go and I would have to do everything possible before I was transferred there. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that confronting all that and just knowing um, that there's risk in everything that you do. Um, you know, there's risk in walking outside your house every day and getting in the car and, and things like that. And just not allowing other people to scare you with their fear, you know, yeah, being confident absolutely. in your knowledge of your body of birth, um, that is going to give you the best outcome of your labor. And it's going to just give you the best outcome of like your free birth. And um, I don't know, I, 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 like I said, I didn't tell anyone we were doing it because I just didn't want to deal with like the stress of somebody projecting their fear on me. Yeah, I was not gonna like, have that. I was like, we're just gonna do this. This is like our family growing anyways. This is us, not anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just not looking for anyone else's approval. I've had women ask me like, well, what if my husband like isn't supportive of it? I would reevaluate that relationship personally, but, <laughs> but I would ask like my husband to stay outside. Yeah. The same, <laughs> I'm going to do the birth thing then. <laughs> I have literally told my partner and be like, this is happening with or without you. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, you. Yeah, I'm just like anything to avoid the hospital. I'm, yeah, probably more so just because I'm I'm stubborn. I just this is the way I want to do it, and this is yeah. what I've envisioned, and I want to make it. Yeah, I also think that it's really important. Um, like the other part of the question was with the midwives. Uh, you know, just knowing what you want out of birth. Like, why are you? Why do you have a midwife? Like, what is her purpose there? First of all, is like what kind of safety is she going to give you that you can't give yourself? You know, is it education? Is she going to is she going to educate you on this birth? Is she going to educate you on how things are going to go, or do you just think that having somebody trained medically is going to be safer? Because ultimately, she can do exactly what you do. Um, you know, some midwives uh, can administer pitocin, some can administer IVs and things like that. But just here's what I, my opinion on it is like. If you have the option to do something, like I recently saw on um, somebody I know had like their registry for their baby, they had uh, like a formula machine, right? But she like wanted to breastfeed. I was like, well, have you ever bought a pair of shoes without the intention of wearing them? So like, you're just going to find a reason to use that thing. It's like the same thing with like a midwife. Like if you have one, she better have a purpose there. You know, like there better be a reason why you need her there. So evaluating, why do I even need this person here? Like, what are they going to give me that I can't give myself? Because if it's that she can administer Pitocin in an IV or, you know, she can help me, like coach me to push, well, then all those things are going to occur because that's your first postulate. That's what you've decided on, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
being mindful of, of that, but also knowing that, okay, do I love this person? Like, do I love their presence? Do I love their energy? Because if you decide I want a midwife, if she is, if she's not in alignment with you, she can cause you extra stress, you know, like her presence in general. It's like having like somebody, like imagine having some stranger you don't really even like, like in your home watching you poop. <laughs> it's like, it's like, get out of here. This is so uncomfortable, yeah. you know? So, um, it's really not about like the questions you should ask. You just need to ask yourself those questions. You need to know what, what you're, you're afraid of, what you don't know about birth. And regardless of whether you have a midwife or not, finding those things out beforehand, for sure, to give you that co- confidence and that security. That's amazing. So empowering. Um, I, I will also link the resources like the books for free birth in the description box so cool look at those um okay we have about 10 more minutes is that okay with you yes that's good on time okay yeah um so without having labs done the best way to tell what's the best best way to tell you're nourished enough to get pregnant um well you know i mean your overall health, like how you feel is a really good marker. <laughs> if you're sleeping well, um, you uh, eliminate every day, once or twice a day is really important. Your periods are regular, painless in a sense. You know, obviously there's going to be some uh, shift in hormones and a little bit of discomfort, but nothing that should be like intolerable. Um, for the most part, like your period should come, you shouldn't really know your period's going to arrive unless you like look at your calendar, you know, like (laughs) it should just like come and then be there and not, not much should shift within you. So that's a really good marker. Um, your thyroid health. So, uh, tracking your temperature, tracking your pulse, those things are, uh, really good markers of health, your skin health. Uh, you can tell a lot about your liver health based off of your metabolism too, but also just looking at your face, like how is your skin doing? Like, do you have dark circles under your eyes? Do you have bags under your eyes? Like uh, under eye is like a clear indication that you have an issue with your kidneys and your liver. Um, you know, how are your teeth doing? Look at your tongue. Like, is your tongue like funky? Like, does it have like marks on it? Does it have like tons of cracks? Does it have like white plaque all over it? Like, you know, look at these markers of your health because these are the things that are truly going to tell you whether or not like you need um, more time or if your body is really ready to conceive. And also if you decide like, okay, I want to get pregnant now. And then you happen to just get pregnant. Well, likely you are healthy enough to get pregnant. Yeah. Pregnancy in itself, like fertility is a huge marker of your health. Like if you're not fertile, you're not healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a lot of women are like, I don't want to be fertile because I don't want to get pregnant right now. I'm like, no, but you do, you do. Because that means that you are in balance. That means that you are healthy. It means your, your body is ready to do what it's been built to do, which is birth babies and (laughs) procreate, you know? Um, Yeah. So I would say to focus on, on those, on those markers of health. And um, yeah, I guess if you do have hormonal issues, um, like you're, you're really cold all the time, your thyroid is low, your metabolism slow, you have digestive issues, um, start to either work with somebody if you don't feel confident, like doing the research yourself. I think that most people need more guidance, um, and to like join a program like yours. And I know there's a whole bunch of other people like in our field that have, um, these programs and they're all just so wonderful. And I feel very confident in recommending anyone, um, of you women. Uh, so I would say working with, 
with someone who can also like help guide you in the right direction because you can like apply the information and like test things out for yourself but if you don't have like that knowledge of what things should feel like or look like it might be a little bit confusing for you you might be like wait I thought that my (laughs) supposed to be strong but yet I'm like jittery as hell (laughs) you know so there's there's like a nuance to it all of Mm -hmm. like self-healing and stuff you you definitely need to have a a sound understanding of physiology of of physiology to to be able to like go without any sort of like testing and stuff like that that's awesome those are great tips um okay next question just started with the daily raw carrot salad do you soak shredded carrots and is it normal that i got bad diarrhea (laughs) um I I don't know about this soaking them in water yeah I think some people might do that to um reduce the beta carotene like that might be problematic Mm. with some people with a slow metabolism I've seen that done um and then the diarrhea piece I would just think that maybe it's just getting rid of bad guys yeah I would say that's probably what's happening um, I would just keep doing it and, and, you know, I always recommend people keep like a food blog when they start to like implement these new things to really understand, like, cause you could be like, I felt fine yesterday, but really you had like diarrhea and like, you totally forgot about it. So writing those things down and writing what you're doing is going to really help you progress in the right direction. Um, but yeah, I would say that the diarrhea is just getting rid of the bad bacteria. Um, definitely peel the carrot. Uh, soaking, I guess, if if that's um, you know, if, if you think that that would be helpful to you, or if you're like kind of coming off like a plant based diet, mm-hmm. like something that's a little bit more that like you haven't been getting vitamin A <laughs> through liver and and other things like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, vitamin K shot necessary at birth? Definitely not. <laughs> no, no. Our bodies are built to you know, to, to, I don't, it's hard for me to articulate this in a way that's super kind to people that have, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because the reason is, is like our bodies were designed in a certain way and these interventions have only caused more issues down the line. Um, there was no reason to have a vitamin K shot, you know, there isn't, and there's more, um, harm that can be done from that than, than help. Uh, if you really feel like you're, you know, you're like, okay, I really want to have vitamin K. Like I want to do the shot, but I don't really want to do the shot. You're afraid of what's going to happen to baby. Just get like vitamin K drops and do it yourself. Like externally, don't inject anything into your child. Like where it can't, where you don't give your child like the ability to detox, to go through the natural detox pathways. I think that's, you know, it's a shock to the nervous system aside from all the, that other poison. Like it's not just vitamin K in that shot. Yeah. That's so true. Um, all the other adjuvants and everything that are in there. Um, yeah. okay. I'm going to pick one more question. There are a lot of questions. I'm trying to find <laughs> like one last good one. Um, okay. A slow, is a slow rise in BBT after ovulation always an indicator of low progesterone? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that that's a, like a pretty good indicator of low progesterone. I don't know, you know, it's always hard for me to answer these questions because like I want to ask questions back. Yeah. <laughs> are you taking progesterone? Like what's your diet like? Like what are you, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good indicator of low progesterone. Well, I think her second question was, is supplementing progesterone during pregnancy safe and what is the best application? So I think she is probably okay. considering Yes. Okay. So I would say that, yeah, supplementing progesterone throughout pregnancy is absolutely safe. I do recommend topical application over like oral application. Um, The transdermal is really great and I think it's super effective. And if it's in a carrier of um, pure vitamin E that's from wheat germ or MCT or like squalane, we're coming out with one. Um, soon. <laughs> so excited. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Uh, so I supplemented with progesterone before pregnancy, during pregnancy, it really does help with morning sickness as well, especially um, as estrogen rises in the beginning of pregnancy. Uh, it can also help you get pregnant. So um, you know, I think that it's a safe, I wouldn't go beyond a hundred drops. That would be like a lot. But uh, if you have morning sickness, you can probably hit a hundred drops and depending on what your estrogen levels are like, not like every day, just like a one-time thing. Um, And that could be helpful, but I would start with like 10 to 12 drops, (laughs) like something relatively small and work your way up and see how you're doing. Um, The same thing with uh, if you're trying to conceive, you know, uh, that is, it's really important to just start small because you don't want to throw things off because if you're also not detoxing estrogen properly, like your liver isn't functioning, you're not pooping every day, um, that progesterone can turn into estrogen and that could be detrimental too. So mm. you want to make sure when you're, you're implementing something like progesterone that your body, your bodily functions are happening the way that they should be in supporting your hormones. You know, it's yes. not just like, okay, I'm going to take progesterone. Not everything's going to be great. It's not that simple. Um, it's simple, but it's not that simple. Like you have to also make sure that you're taking care of yourself in other ways. Like there's no like magic pill in anything, but I do think progesterone is very helpful, especially because our, our, um, climate and our, our world is very estrogenic, like our clothing, our food, the soil, all of it. So, um, we're kind of constantly battling that. And so to offset that progesterone is very helpful. Okay. Well, that was such a beautiful episode. That was a lot of knowledge and information. So I hope people enjoyed it. And thank you again, Noelle, for all of your time and wisdom. Um, Where can people find you and keep up with you if they're not sure right now? Um, So you can find me on Instagram at Noelle Covery. And then our brand is uh, Forever Healthy Hair. That is where we sell all of our poofa-free, non-toxic, all-natural, anti-aging beauty care products. And we have a blog on our website where we do post, um, not as regularly, but we do have some really good blog posts up there. And then Nick and I have a YouTube channel, which is just called Nick and Noelle Kowalski. That is my married name. <laughs> um, yeah, so we do have that, but we haven't posted to it since Olek has been born, but we do plan to get back on it. But there are some really helpful things on there as well regarding um, uh, skincare and beauty and metabolism and overall like toxins in our environment. Like we kind of have like a pretty broad spectrum, um, you know, episodes there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then we both have our joint courses, which uh, we cover digestion, uh, thyroid, and hair, and then weight loss. So we have four different courses, and um, all those are actually in the link in my bio on my Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will link everything for easy access. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Noelle. And thank until next time, guys. Me. Of course. My pleasure. Talk soon. to take a brief moment to chat about the relaunch of the nourished method which is my very own signature course that is 12 weeks long and it's going to look, look a little bit different this time around so if you were with me last year i launched the nourish method for the first time ever thanks so much to the women who joined and gave me incredible feedback for this round so that things can be new and improved things are going to look a little bit different no weekly calls um, i feel like a lot of the women got a lot of the answers that they needed from the course and just communicating with me via messenger and the Facebook community. So that's exactly what we're going to do this time around. We're going to have a private Facebook community where all your questions and concerns are going to be answered. I'll be in there every single day. So it's really no different. Um, the course will be dropped all at once. All 12 weeks of modules will be dropped all at once. You'll have the knowledge, wisdom, and tools that I have literally in this course. Um, you'll get trackers, um, meal plans, uh, supplement guides, um, grocery guides, literally so many things, checklists, like the whole nine yards, guys. I'm not going to leave you out in the dark. I want you to succeed. I'm also teaming up, teaming up with some really awesome women in the field when it comes to movement and meal plans. You'll get set up with that. You'll get the whole works. Um, I'm really excited for this round, you guys. And the early bird special starting on February the 4th is $297, paying full. There's also a payment plan option for that, and the price will go up at the end of the week of the 4th um, to $4.97, so be sure to sign up early and let me know if you have any questions on Instagram. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I always appreciate your love via Instagram DMs, so feel free to take a screenshot if you're listening, and be sure to tag me on Instagram. And of course, if you feel called to, I would love, love to see you leave a five-star rating and review so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time.